0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: Believe. Welcome to the Press Row. Behind the scenes stories from the world of sports media. Press Row. Inside and interviews from around the sports world. Now, here's your host, Shona Siegel.
0: When you talk about sports, media, Canada, certainly Toronto. There are some names that come to mind, and one of them always included in that is Steve Simmons from Post Media, the Toronto Sun. Growing up following sports, reading newspapers, watching the reporters on TSN, Simmons was always a big part of the dialogue and remains so today. Whether it's his regular columns or especially his weekly Sunday column, always something that I've looked forward to, and Steve has been a dominant player in the Canadian sports landscape. For over 30 years, in today's episode, we talk a little bit about uh, the developing story involving the Blue Jays pitching coach and his brush with the law. We talk about the ability uh, to win in the Canadian market for the Toronto Maple Leafs. We talk a little bit about the success of the Blue Jays, the Raptors, different ongoings in the sports media landscape in general, and just. Good old catching up with Steve. Hope you enjoy today's episode. This is the Press Row with Joe and Siegel. Very pleased to be joined with uh, someone who writes a column almost every Sunday. And we'll figure out exactly how many there are. But I will tell you that along with no Maple Leaf games on Saturdays, no Steve Simmons on Sundays, just genuinely feels wrong. He is calling in, I believe, somewhere in the in the GTA today. Steve, how are you? Very well, thanks for, for having me on. So it, it's Saturday afternoon. Uh, there's, there's a whole lot of banter back and forth as when, if you should actually timestamp your podcast, but what the hell. So it's Saturday afternoon. We had to wait until later afternoon Toronto time so you could finish one of your columns. Two questions on that. One, in a typical year, 52 weeks there are, apparently. How many do you write a year? How many
1: columns do I write a year?
0: Of your Sunday columns, sorry.
1: Oh, Sunday is probably about 46, 47 weeks. Um, But total columns would be 200 plus.
0: And of the Sunday, like, that's... And those are a massive amount of work, are they not?
1: Yeah, it's two full days of gathering, organizing, and writing... The average column I write would be about 800 words. On Sunday, it's 2,400. So it's three times the size of a normal column. And I've been doing it, well, every Sunday for most of the last 33 years. Uh, It got twice as large a few years ago when my sports editor decided to change it from one page to two. Thank you very much. (laughs) And it, it went from like 1,200 words to 2,400 words. And it got way more difficult to do. When all sports radio and all sports television and bloggers and internet and social media and all this stuff started taking my Tuesday notes and turning them into Wednesday conversation that were no longer was no longer relevant by Saturday or Sunday.
0: And interestingly, uh, Post Media now has a subscription to the column, where you can get it Saturday evenings before the paper. Comes out, I'm making air quotes for those who can't see me because I'm not sure what that means in a, in a digital world. Has that, uh, I'm curious, has that done well? And I guess we could debate what well means. Do you have a lot of subscribers getting it early?
1: I don't know what well means either. And I don't know what the exact number is because they won't tell me what the exact number is. Um, my understanding is it's done quite well and better than anything else that Post Media has attempted to, to send out. And and the way there's no cost for the subscription. It's a free subscription. And basically what it is, is we used to put it online on Saturday. And I used to post it once it was finished and and edited. And then people would start reading it. And so now what they've done is you can get it for free on Saturday if you subscribe. But you can't read it online until Sunday if you don't. And so there are people who prefer to have it Sunday morning with their coffee. There's people who like to get it as soon as possible on Saturdays. It's become a, I hate to say this because it's me doing it, but it's, it's become my signature of sorts. And in some ways I adore that. And in some ways I hate that. I don't know. It's, it's just become something attached to me. And people, like if I see someone on the streets and they, and they recognize me or talk to me, oh, I love your son. No one ever says, I love your Tuesday call. <laughs> or are, are, people some people don't know i actually write other days um but people are caught in on this one they love the format it it works for them it's simple it's easy lots of people have attempted notes columns over the years and most have failed historically and you know there's been a few who have succeeded and i've been fortunate enough to be one of them
0: yeah as i said like there's there's a couple things as a sports fan that i really enjoy so one is Leafs on a Saturday, now afternoon, because I'm on the West Coast. Uh, Not having Leafs on a Saturday really bothers me. Uh, Not having your column on a Sunday bothers me. At the same time, for different reasons, not having Larry Brooks on a Sunday bothers me as well.
1: I'm the same way with Larry Brooks, to be honest. I, I look for that every single Sunday, and I want the Leafs on Saturday night. And I think probably no different than a lot of people. You get used to the things that sort of are comfort zone things for you. I'll go into a barbershop, for example, or the grocery store, and somebody will throw uh, whatever became of at me. Why didn't you use Mike Pellick? Or why didn't right. you use this guy or that guy? Then I'll have to tell them I used him 10 years ago or I didn't use him. Things like that have just become part of daily conversation. And so it's kind of fun for me to, to see how they've taken the work that I do sort of privately in my own office and, and made it part of their lives as well.
0: So I don't want to ask the the chef for the recipe, the magician for the tricks of the trade, but that particular piece of it, whatever happened to, is there a
1: methodology? Is there just something that kind of pops randomly into your head? Um, No, there is actually a methodology of sorts. Uh, It often I will take the whatever's going on that week. Let's say it's Wimbledon. My whatever became of might be a tennis player or a tennis broadcaster or a former Canadian tennis player or somebody with an association to to the game. Uh, So I tend to go event to event, time of year to time of year. The NCAA basketball tournament's going on now. So one of these weeks I might have used a basketball player as the whatever became of. And then I have my fallback positions. You know, if I can't come up with anything, I'll, I'll find a leaf or a raptor, you know, whose name means something to me. And what I, what I sometimes forget is, is I'm an old guy. And whatever became of, to me, of 50 years ago doesn't necessarily mean anything <laughs> to the 40-year-old today or the 35-year-olds. So I have to sort of uh, look at it. And, 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 and then i got to check to see if I've used because I don't remember who I've used. Check to see if I've used him before. And then I do that. I did that today a few times where I had the, you know, somebody I wanted to use. I wanted to use Brian Colangelo today. And I looked and I think I used them two years ago. So I, I didn't go back to Brian again.
0: I'm not looking for a hard number, but of those you write of in that, in that one line, if you will, how often do you hear from that person? If at
1: all? Uh, the funniest one, the funniest one I ever got was from a football player named Rufus Crawford who played for the Hamilton Tiger cats. And I think it might've been CFL playoff week or Grey cup week or something. And I, and I did whatever became of Rufus Crawford. And I, those days were in the office. I'm in the office on Monday, and the phone rings. Rufus Crawford calling, I hear you're looking for me. And That was like <laughs> the first, first time I've, I've gotten emails from people thanking me for putting them in there. I've gotten emails from people thanking me because so many people have reached out. You know, As a result? Yeah, because I do birthdays right before I do whatever became it. Right. So anyone who gets mentioned in a birthday often reaches out you know, thanks for the birthday wishes, or, you know, I heard from people I never hear from before. You know, this is one of the great things of social media and and columns online and things like that, is that the places that peace can go are are in so many directions. And so there was a Leaf defenseman named Fred Boimestruck, who... uh, I'm old enough to remember. Yeah, worked on the railroad in the Kingston area. And... He sent me an email after I used whatever became a Fred Boimestrup. And he thanked me so much for putting him in the column because he had been working on the railroad, I don't know how many years now, and hadn't seen any of his hockey playing friends for years. And all of a sudden, everybody is calling and finding out where he is and sending him messages and everything. And he was pretty pleased about that. And, and so you get, you get different responses every once in a while. And it's kind of fun to hear from them. And I have one reader, a very dedicated reader who every single Sunday will research where the person is and and send me a note as to, you know, Juan Guzman is now here (laughs) living in this city in the Dominican Republic and doing that, you know. So sometimes, and and sometimes I can't find the people, to be honest, so it's hard. And at least twice on occasion, I've put dead people in.
0: Yes, that has, it has a special, I don't, I'm not quite sure why it's labeled a controversy online, but there it is. Well, it's Uh, among, you know what? Everything is a controversy online. Correct. I too am old and I have a birthday coming up. Thank you for not mentioning it. Let's just put it that way. So I'm going to throw something at you completely out of left field that you and I have not talked about. And and perhaps you're going to think I'm nuts and it's out of left field because I don't usually talk about, and we talked about this on the phone, actually, about sports per se. talked a very long call with a US-based baseball and hockey writer. I think one of the best in, in the U S and the observation, your immediate answer is going to go, no, that's ridiculous, but I'm gonna ask the question and I hope we can have a, a good discussion on it. I will say that the fact that the Maple Leafs have not won the Stanley cup since 1967 is painful, but only one team wins. Like I, I kind of get that and yada, yada, yada. The fact that they haven't won a playoff round since 2004, is much more painful and actually inexcusable, in my opinion. I wonder if the market itself actually is making it almost impossible for that team to win. And I'm not saying that the fans are the hardest or the media are the hardest, but are, is the environment of Toronto for hockey such a challenge because a whole host of different reasons, and we can talk about those. But what do you think? Is it impossible, almost impossible, for them to win because of a ton of different forces?
1: No. I think it has nothing to do with it, to be perfectly honest. And I'll use Boston as the best example I can come up with. I don't know a town that's tougher on athletes than Boston is. I don't know a a town that's harder to play baseball in than Boston is. And you look at the championships won. By the Patriots, by the Red Sox, by the Celtics, by the Bruins, or the competitive years that those teams have had at a time when, like since 1993 until the Raptors won a couple of years ago, no Toronto team of the the major sports had won anything. And so the Blue Jays hadn't won, Leafs hadn't won, um, Raptors hadn't won. And you you say, well, is, is is it the environment that the Leafs haven't won? No. Uh, the environment had nothing to do with the Leafs not winning games 5, 6, and 7 against Montreal last year in the playoffs when they should have beaten the Canadians and maybe could have gone all the way to the Stanley Cup final had they won that series the way Montreal wound up going to the Stanley Cup final. I think it's, it comes down to player performance and coaching and goaltending and all the things that matter. If you look at when the Leafs have been good historically – they were good when Ed Belfour was in goal. They were good when Curtis Joseph was in goal, and when Felix Potvan was in goal, and before that, Mike Palmatier. If you don't have a goalie of consequence, you're not going to win much in hockey. And if you don't have an upper echelon goalie, you're certainly not going to win much. And historically, you know, if you go through the last 15 years of the Leafs, you know, Freddie Anderson was okay. The goaltending now is a, is a, something of a disaster. Um, they've gone through all kinds of, you know, Vasa Toskalas and Jaguars and guys who just aren't good enough to to be winning goalies in the NHL. And so that's got nothing to do with the market and that's got nothing to do with fans. And that's got nothing to do with, you know, even the players per se, if management isn't putting a guy in goal. Who won the last two Stanley Cups? Best goalie in the world. Right. Who won the Stanley Cups before that? I mean, you go back. I mean, once in a while, a Matt Murray wins on a Pittsburgh team or an anti-Niemi wins on a Chicago team, because that team is just that good. Anyhow, the Leafs have had teams that should have played for the Stanley cup. They should have played for the Stanley cup in that 2003 season. I think they lost to Carolina. Uh, There was no reason to lose that series. They lost to Buffalo once in the semifinals. They lost the famous Los Angeles series that they never should have lost. Um, So they had teams that could have got to the finals, whether they were good enough to ever win a cup, I don't believe that they've never had the best team in the NHL. Even when they won cups in the 60s, most of those teams weren't the best teams in the NHL. So to me, it's, you know, putting the Toronto thing and and the curse of Toronto, so to speak, it's no different than the Cubs. It's no different than the Red Sox. It's no different than than what's happened in other places. It will eventually happen here. And it will eventually happen here when the team is, is, is good enough to be that team.
0: Yeah, this person's point was, and I agree with him, that there are unusual forces in Toronto as it relates to hockey. So one, a lot of kids who play the game grow up in and around southwestern Ontario. They get up, their families come to Toronto, so that makes it harder for the home team to play there. Um, Secondly, at least according to him, Red Sox players, and he he did bring them up, seem to be left alone quite a bit in places like Boston and their neighborhoods and where they live, same with New York and LA, whereas Toronto, these guys are literally gods or goats, depending on what they did the night before. And again, it wasn't that the media is really tough, but you, you look at a guy like a goalie who's now about to have a Vesna year in Carolina, You know, how is it one year on, one year off? Those were some of the things that we talked about.
1: Your Vesna standings and my Vezina standings don't equate together. Okay. Because I have Vasilevsky in a place and I've got Sherserkin in a place and I've got Markstrom of Calgary in a place and I don't have Freddie Anderson in that mix. You know, I think playing goal for Carolina is one of the great pleasures of the NHL. Because
0: there's no pressure, right?
1: Yeah, not just pressure. There's no shots. Right. They're a great, great defensive team. They don't give up much. They got the best six man defense probably in the NHL. And so if you, Freddie Anderson's a decent NHL goalie. Is he a top five, top seven guy? I don't think so. But, you know, his numbers this year are awfully good. And part of it's because of the team he plays for. But he's not as good as the three guys I just mentioned. And I don't think he'll be one of the finalists for the Vesna. But all that said, you talk about the prep. Like in today's world where everyone lives in condos in downtown Toronto, you honestly think that Austin Matthews sees anybody <laughs> walking, other than walking his dog, or or Mitch Marner sees anybody, or you know, or John Tavares living in the suburbs in Oakville sees like, I don't, I don't see. I think your point is invalid as to them being under pressure and being in neighborhoods and that kind of thing. I mean, I think the only person I know who's out and about in in the city is Jason Spezza, and he's about the only guy I I know who absolutely loves being out and about <laughs> amidst the fans and, and that kind of thing, because this is what he asked for. This is what he wanted. And so it was important for him to sort of come home and, and, and live that Maple Leaf dream, and, that, and that's what he's doing. But, I mean, you look at the team, this right now, there's about eight teams that could win the Cup in the NHL. I'm not sure the Leafs are one of them, because I don't know if their goaltending is good enough. But if their goaltending is Jack Campbell first half of the season, they can, they can get through a few rounds and they can go if their best players are playing at the highest level. And to me, so much of it comes down to, I expect Austin Matthews to be great. And I expect Mitch Marner to be great, even if he hasn't been in the playoffs before. I don't know what to expect from John Tavares and Willie Nylander. And if I don't know what to expect from them and they can't be great, then the Leafs can't be great either. We'll take another couple of
0: sports topics, and then we'll go back to what I like talking about. But let's play hypothetical just for a second, because we're talking today. Let's say they draw Tampa, Boston, or Florida in the first round. And let's say they play pretty well, and they take whoever that is to seven games, and what have you, bad goal, whatever, they, they lose in seven. Is either... Do you think someone's going to pay the ultimate price? Someone. Do you think Shanahan or Dubas is going to pay the ultimate price? I think that's a fan's conversation
1: rather than it's a a real conversation. The Maple Leafs, unlike most teams in pro sports, don't per se have an owner. They don't have one guy who is in charge and he says, oh, I don't like him anymore. He's losing every year. I'm getting rid of that guy, which is what happens when you have a singular owner on a team. Maybe it's owned by a corporation, and it's a private corporation, not a public corporation. And its majority ownership are two major corporations, Bell and Rogers. And Bell and Rogers don't really get day-to-day involved in what the Leafs are doing because, or the Raptors or anyone else for that matter, because their major business is far bigger and far more important than than the hockey team is. Larry Tannebaum is the minority owner who might have the larger say? But Larry Tenemom loves everyone. And every person he's ever hired in his life is the greatest person to do the job. So until someone decides there, not on sports radio and not in the newspaper and not anywhere else, until someone in that corporation says, you know what, we have to make a change. Now that comes the question who do you change and where? Do you get rid of Shanahan? And if you get rid of him, who do you hire? That's better. Do you get rid of Kyle Dubas? Who I think is growing nicely into the job or do you, and and replace him with someone who isn't as qualified or or can't do the job. Do you maybe change coaches? And and I can, I could make a good case for keeping Sheldon Keefe and a good case for getting rid of him. And it's quite possible that the Leafs have the most points this season that they've ever had before. So I don't know. Knowing Larry Tattenbaum as well as I do, I can't sit here and say anyone's going to pay the price because there's never been any indication that he operates that way. I mean, he was in love with Brian Burke. He didn't want to fire Brian Burke. The other people decided that. He he didn't want to fire Colangelo. Other people decided that. Like Tim Laiwiki decided that. Um, there's no Tim Laiwiki there now. There's no one of those guys who's going to say this guy has to go. So. Brendan Shanahan in many ways has done great work in in a lot of the things he's done with the Leafs. He hasn't done great work like anyone else has with playoff success, but in putting the franchise together in building it and starting over. And like, if you look at it, Brendan Shanahan took over. He brought Lou Lamarillo in as general manager, hall of fame GM. He brought Mike Babcock into coach who at the time was considered the best coach in the NHL. Those are tough hires to make. And he brought both of them in, under those circumstances and they built from scratch really pretty darn good team. Now they got fortunate. They got the first pick of the draft. They got Austin Matthews. They, they did, you know, they, they got lucky in some ways, you know, you you can debate whether the, the signing of John Tavares was a good move or a bad move. And, and I thought at the time the, the pushing Lamarillo out was a dumb thing to do because if the Lamarillo has proven one thing in his life, he knows goaltending and he gets great goalies. I mean, he, he did it with, with Berdur, and after that, you know, he, he traded, you know, for, Schneid, for Schneider, and, and after that, he came here and got Anderson. And so he's always, he's got a sense of a goalie. And whether he would have been different, you know, in how this all worked out goaltending-wise with the Leafs, I don't know, but I just like the fact that he was an experienced hand, uh, and I thought the combination of him and Dubas had Dubas stayed uh, would have been perfect for the Leafs.
0: interesting you say that because as the Messiah jury story was unfolding, I think it was fellow columnist Doug Smith who broke the story that uh, uh, Edward Rogers Jr. was trying to oust or or not increase or rehire Messiah jury.
1: Can I interrupt right now? Of course. That tells you all you need to know about what an idiot Ed Rogers is. (laughs) Ed Rogers tried to replace Paul Beeston when he was the president of the Blue Jays. And he decided he wanted to possibly talk to Kenny Williams yeah. about this hiring with the Chicago White Sox, but he had to call the owner, Jerry, Jerry Reinsdorf, Reinsdorf, to get permission. Now, what he didn't know, being because he's Ed Rogers, he didn't know that one of Paul Beeston's best friends is Jerry Reinsdorf. And so he's essentially calling one of your best friends to replace you. Now, don't you think that minute that Reinsdorf hung up with Ed Rogers, the next phone call he made was to Paul Beeston. Guess what? They're trying to get rid of you. So in this situation, you look at the Raptors right now, Masai Jiri could be executive of the year in the NBA again. Like I think he's having an absolutely brilliant season of what they had in mind for this team and where they are. And, if you can't believe in this guy after everything he's done here, then you're never going to believe in any sports executive and you're not going to know any better. And Ed Rogers is one of these people who listens to his buddies who are sports fans. And I'm going to quote my old friend, Marv Levy. If you start listening to the people in the stands soon, you're going to be sitting with them.
0: My, my point is though, that he is, I think probably that he's now the tippy top of Rogers who is a majority, a co-majority owner of MLSC. And I'm going to paraphrase and say you're calling him a wingnut, but he's now a wingnut who's now going to be in the board meeting when Brendan has to walk in and talk about...
1: Oh, absolutely. And here's the thing. Eddie has his 35% and Bell has their 35%. And so the two groups who don't like each other to start with rarely get along on anything. Correct. So the odds are if Eddie's pushing something in one direction, Bell will likely not, you know, be going in that direction, which will leave Larry Tannenbaum as the determining factor in whether Eddie gets his way or not. And, and so I don't know if you know what happened with Brian Burke. Bell decided they didn't want him anymore. And Bell then went to Rogers and talked what was his name? I uh, forget the guy's name. That was the CEO. Nadir Mohamed. That went
0: to, that's Rogers, yeah. He went
1: to Nadir Mohamed, and they convinced Nadir that it was time for Burke to go. And it was a lot more about not the hockey team, but about Brian's persona and public ways of, of behaving. And they didn't like that, and they didn't think it was representative of their companies. And so they decided between the two of them that they were going to get rid of Burke who at the time was on the negotiating committee for the NHL in a lockout. So they couldn't fire him until the lockout was over. As soon as the lockout ended, they fired Brian Burke, and they made Larry Tannenbaum do it. And Larry Tannenbaum was the one person who was against firing Burke. You know, Larry being, I'm in love with all my employees <laughs> kind of thing. And him and Dale Laspen had to go and fire Brian Burke when neither of them were in favor of it.
0: Noted. Okay. Well, those are those are good. And I, I think it. I think as you said, it's going to make for an interesting off season, assuming the worst. And let's yeah. let's well, not every, assume the every, worst for all.
1: Everyone's of us. going to look from columnists to radio talk show people to everyone's going to look for a. It's time. It's time. You got to get rid of it. And the question I have, and I've, I've worked this out on paper and in my head and in every other way. Okay, let's use Kyle Dubas as an example find me a better GM. Find me a guy who's going to find a Michael Bunting cheap or an Andre Koshek cheap or a David Kampf cheap. Yeah, he messed up on, on, on Peter Morazic and he messed up on, on the guy that went to Arizona, Ritchie, yep. um, but he turned Ritchie into a defenseman who's not a bad defenseman. And, you know, I suspect he tried. He was hoping that Morazic got claimed on waivers. But so, that there's some pretty good work done in salary cap world where they have zero flexibility because when they signed all of their players, they assumed, as most people did, that the cap would continue to go up. And because of COVID, now we're now into what, over two years, You know, the salary cap has not moved. And if anything, they, they figured by now it would be $10 million more than it is, which was a, a logical assumption. So Tavares signing looks worse for two reasons. One, Tavares hasn't played that well. Two, um, the cap hasn't gone up, so you don't have more money to spend on other things to make up for the mistakes that you made.
0: I guess the question would become, should they not be successful in advancing this year? Is Kyle prepared to go back and have to deal with, in order to solve what you're saying needs to be solved, to go get a top goaltender? Man, I, I imagine Jack Campbell would, like to have whatever offer apparently he had early in the season back again. Uh, But in order to go get a goalie and or a stud defenseman, one of those four is probably going to have to go the other way.
1: Yeah. And and you know what? I love that. I love that stud defenseman line, by the way, there's about four of them. Right. And I don't remember the last one that was traded. Um, It's been a long time since Chris Pronger got traded Um, and Chris Chelios got traded. Uh, Very few of those a defensemen ever get traded. So everyone always says, oh, I'm going to go get that guy. Well, who are they? Right. And it's no different. It's the same with goalies in, in a way, because I, my friend, Eric, I don't know if you know Eric DeHacek, my friend Eric DeHacek in Calgary, former roommate of mine, um, he has a theory on goaltending that I've always subscribed to. There are great, great goalies in at any era. And I think there's one right now in the NHL, one absolutely all-time great goalie. There are goalies who have great years and often it's not the same guy year to year to year. And then they're the guy, and then they become interchangeable. So we see Shesterkin this year and he is sensational. Do, but what happens next year? Is he sensational again? We know what Vasilevsky is. He's proven it. He's the best yep. goalie in the world, but who else is on that list? And how do you find him? And, and if there is a, a flaw, and I will say that if there is a flaw in how the Leafs have operated since Shanahan took over and since Dubas has been in general manager, is their scouting of goaltenders, their drafting of goaltenders, and their development of goaltenders has been weak. Right. And so organizationally, that has not been a strength. For a team, a team like the New York Rangers, a good example, uh, you know, they, they went from having Lundquist for all those years. Now it looks like they got someone for the next 10 years. Um, You know, sometimes you get that way. Sometimes you're either you're lucky or you're just smart. Um, The goalies are, are miss, scouted and poorly developed in a lot of places, which is why guys on their second stints often as, you know, become decent in Jack Campbell's case, this is his third stint. Um, So we, and we still don't know what he is yet at 30 years of age.
0: So let's, let's change gears a little bit and go a little bit more traditional to what I typically talk about. We are living in, you know, pandemic, unprecedented. Physical newspapers haven't died, but they've certainly, and maybe that, that decline has stabilized and online sales, certainly in certain places have started to increase to a point where I, I don't think people are now saying newspapers are going to go the way of the dodo. Um, talk radio uh, or sports talk has evolved. We're, we're no longer necessarily listening entirely to live drive radio. We listen to on-demand radio. Uh, you can listen to all the best, all the shows that you want, whenever you want, on whatever you want. Numbers are, are pretty good. They're growing. People are finding a way to generate an audience and make a living off of it, both traditionally and non-traditionally. And all of a sudden, this thing that just seems highly unprobable called gambling enters from the right side. And for those of you not watching, Steve has a huge grin on his face. Mm. Uh, The pastrami sandwich from the center deli has just sat at his table. Um, It is a fascinating time. Uh, What's your take on the the mix, the unusual oil and water, although totally natural, because that's why a lot of these leagues are as popular as they are. But all of a sudden, they are absolutely being intertwined and mixed at the very top and the very places you never expected to see them.
1: Well, it's rather remarkable that I start in the business where you couldn't even put a point spread in your article because editors would take it out. Yeah. To a point where then you could run the point spreads in another part of the section, and and that worked. And this afternoon, as I had my television on prior to coming on here, um, the ESPN hockey game was on. And they had Wayne Gretzky doing an ad for MGM, whatever their betting site is, maybe MGM Canada or something. Um, And you can't now go five minutes on television, turning channels or wherever, where you don't see an ad for an online betting form of some kind. And so the leagues are now in business with these people, even though... You know, we see what happened in the NFL when a player got caught gambling and the NHL won't tell you who the starting goalie is. And in the NFL, you have to know, you know, all the injuries and who's starting and what the quarterback situation is. And every league's different in how they operate that way. Everyone's trying to make money off of this, not really understanding exactly what it is they're making money off or how it's all going to work. And in Ontario, where I live, um, I think there's now 40-some registered Uh, gambling places and or sites for when single game starts in April, uh, gambling. And I think this is a little bit like what happened with marijuana a few years ago, where everybody thought they were going to get rich buying marijuana stocks. And everyone's going to get rich, you know, opening up the corner's cannabis store. And what we found out over time is, yeah, some people did. But a lot of people went broke and a lot of people you know, didn't make the money they, they thought they were going to make. And I think the same thing's going to happen to gambling is that the people who know what they're doing best and understand it and have a sense of where they're going with it will succeed. And a lot of other people will trip all over themselves and, and not necessarily succeed. And, you know, I'm more fascinated just to see the in stadium experience. I know in Washington already they have the setup with where you can you can do prop betting at games. I look forward to the day you can be sitting at you know the Scotiabank Arena in Toronto and between periods you can bet on whether Willie Nylander is going to score in the third period or not. And oh, I, think- I
0: think it's going to be deeper than that. Sorry for interrupting Steve. I think you're going to be sitting at your seat and Willie Nylander is going to get hauled down on a breakaway. And you'll be able to bet whether or not he's going to score on the breakaway on your phone. Now,
1: you may be a, yeah, that, that's highly possible. And maybe you could even do that now. I don't, I don't know because I'm not a prop better. My kids are. My kids are in their 30s and they both, especially my youngest one, he loves to, uh, to make you know, crazy bets on, on things and not that much money. And he loves the action. And, and so people will and people will get involved. And one thing I, I've known as a fantasy football player watching the NFL now fantasy football has distorted how I watch the NFL
0: because you don't care who wins
1: no I want it from the one yard line I want my guy to score right I if I if I have a wide receiver I don't want him going out at the one I want him scoring the touchdown right and, and so I care a lot more about how that all works than I do about the rest and I suspect that's what it's going to come to in some ways for for sports is you're going to care more about Even if it's a $1 bet, you're going to care more about that $1 bet than you're going to care about the outcome of the game. But what you're going to get in sports like basketball, because it's such a back and forth kind of a game, you go up by 15, then you're down by five, then you're up by 10. And it goes, you got to figure out at what point in time are you betting the rest of the game? you know, is, is being down 20 at the half the time you do it? Or, right. or or how do you make that call? Or if you're down 15 in the first quarter, do you go the other way? Um, and I think, you know, the guys who are at home and like the action and like the computers and all that, and their phones are, are going to have fun with it. You know, I just think there's too many operators right now. They're not all going to succeed. A lot are going to disappear over time. And I've actually been approached by, two or three groups, you know, who want to get you involved from, you know, I have a reasonably large Twitter following. So it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, we'd like to get you involved. And I say, well, there's, there's a little problem with that is I can't really advocate for you, right. you know, doing the job that I do and working for the new, I, wor- I work for the newspaper, so I can't advocate, but the Toronto star who works down the street is now in the business of gambling. So <laughs> everything now the the lines are all distorted, as to who can do what and how you can do it and what the future is going to be.
0: So I don't know if you listened to the podcast about, uh, the, about, uh, Donahue, the referee who was caught gambling. I read his book. Uh, the podcast is must listen to first sports fan. Uh, unless you're an NBA fan, do not listen to that because you'll never watch another game again, but that happened. You obviously have Pete Rose before that. Now you have an NBA player who gets caught we may never see that guy again. Um, the propensity for that is now everywhere, as you said. I, I would argue that the guy who got caught an idiot because I don't know why he was doing it himself. Same way I don't know how Pete Walker ended up in a drunk driving situation with Uber everywhere. But the, the ability for these guys and gals to now gamble on themselves and or those teams is going to be very, very easy. That used to be very, very troubling for leagues, especially the National Football League, who is extremely powerful and built entirely on the success of gambling. How are they going to police that and keep it uh, the appearance of impropriety away from the game?
1: See, I, th- I, I think it's going to be difficult at every level. And we've already seen it in tennis, for example, where players were accused of match fixing. And, you know, what, is there anything simpler than you wake up as a tennis player on a Tuesday morning and you know you feel like garbage and you're probably not going to win that day and you bet against yourself? Uh, what, you know, and you make a, a, a load of money doing that. I heard an interview on the Dan Patrick show not long ago where uh, a gentleman the name of Tucker was on talking about his playing career. And I think he played at an Ivy League school. And there was some kind of point spread in one of his final games in the Ivy League. And, his father, and he was a center. And his father said to him, you know, you could snap the ball over the kicker's head. And no one would ever know. You know and, and I can make money betting against that. If you're up by this many points or down, whatever the, the circumstances were. I think those it's, it's not so much the Pete roses of the world is division two football and small time, this, and, and tennis. And, you know, the other, there's so many sports where it makes a difference. And who do you get to? Like, if you're going to fix a football game, who, who are you going to? Well, you're not probably going to the quarterback. You're probably going to a, an offensive lineman or, or a center or somebody like that. You know, we saw, nobody we see, would ever notice. Yeah. We've seen point shaving in college basketball. Where guys need you know money for for whatever it is they need money for. Well, Donahue says it.
0: Donahue yeah. says it in the podcast. The easiest thing to do is to fix a, a basketball
1: game because you're he, not fixing who wins or loses. You're, you're just fixing a point spread. And yeah, actually, later no, day, that's
0: actually not what he says. What he says is, and and it's semantics, and it drives a lot of people bonkers. Note that this wasn't all over the place in the number one podcast, and there's a whole reason why I believe that is too. But what he really comes out and says is it's my decision i i didn't fix the games and i didn't make up calls but when i make the decision to call them or not depending on like on you know that's the that's the thing so what,
1: what if you're the point guard on the other team and you your team was favored by seven and you're now up by five with 20 seconds to go you got a choice of you can make a bucket at that end or you can to create a turnover for a layup at the other end. And suddenly that seven points, the five point spread is gone. You still win the game. It doesn't change whether you win or lose. It just changes the points. I think, I think basketball has, has way more open to possibilities than the other sports. And the calls are so arbitrary. Yeah. And, and the other sports are like, how do you, you know, I always thought the empty net goalie in hockey is one of the great screw ups for betting there ever <laughs> was. And now what teams are doing actually, is they're pulling their goalies way earlier and often teams are scoring two empty net goals now. Right. So, you know, again, it mess, messes up how all that works. But, you know. So I, should
0: it bother us as fans when media personalities are now tweeting
1: or retweeting odds on the coming games? I don't. I have no problem because you can pick up the odds in any newspaper. So or, or online. Any, all you have to do is click, 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 and you can get the odds. I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with a guy like in my position who then advocates for Bodog, for example, or, or Ontario Lottery Group. You know, why should I be waving the flag for one betting? You know, if you wanna bet, I have a note in tomorrow's column that Nick Nurse is the 15th choice of coach of the year on, on this online site that has, the guy from Phoenix is the first choice. And I said, well, he's not gonna win but 15th is way too low for, for where Nick belongs in the NBA. And, and so I'll make a reference to that as like Al Michaels often makes references when doing, you know, the Sunday night games, he'll make references like that last field goal, you know, they've hit the over or something like that. You know, I don't have a problem with that kind of thing because everyone, that's what everyone's thinking and talking about anyhow. So it doesn't change the results in any way. It doesn't make me a winner or a loser in any way. I don't, I don't think we as journalists should ever be associated with one company or one betting site because I just don't think that's proper or appropriate.
0: So you've got a couple of kids, one of whom started in the business. He does some things on the side, if you will, remaining interested and involved. Would you tell others of that era, younger, who are about to go off to college to get involved if they've loved the business to try and get into the media
1: side of things? I always tell people to follow your passion. And if, if your passion is that, then go ahead. And both of my kids did that. Uh, in Jeffrey's case, the one you referred to, he, 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 after five years at Rogers, he decided that it wasn't going the way he wanted it to go. And he decided to go in another direction. Um, the difficulty today is I'm a newspaper guy. That's all I've been historically. I mean, I've done radio and I've done television. I've done other things, but my life is—I'm a writer yep. of newspaper columns. That's my—that's my skill. And I was fortunate at 22 to get hired in Calgary by a newspaper, and then hired in Toronto at at age 30. I look—I'll use our department because I think we have one of the more thriving sports departments still in the, in, in Canada. We haven't hired anybody in 15 years. We have no young people. The youngest person on our staff is in his 40s. There are no 22-year-olds or 23-year-olds. I was at the Calgary Herald. I was 22. A guy named Alan Mackey was 23. David Schultz was 24. Eric DeHatchik was 24. We're all working at the same newspaper. Find me a newspaper anywhere in North America that's got four guys in their sports department, 24 and under. Doesn't exist. So it would be wrong for me to go to a journalism class as I've gone And say to the kids, yeah, there's opportunities for you. Well, truth is, there isn't. And so what you have to do is create your own opportunities, whether that's be by blogging and or podcasting and or, you know, doing stuff online or growing your own brand. Because the day of of getting into a paper and spending the next 35 years there, I think, you know, as I say, if people ask me how long you're going to work, I say, well, I may be in a race with the newspaper. Whoever goes first, if they go first, I'm out. And if I go first, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but I don't know how long the paper is going to exist. We can exist online for a long time, but I don't know how long the physical, actual newspaper is going to be, exist. So it would be irresponsible for me to turn to a class at a journalism school and say, yeah, follow your dreams as a newspaper writer when there may not be newspapers.
0: Right. So, but I would say that the people who, who are in those classes now and tomorrow probably aren't picking up physical newspapers anyway. The medium doesn't really matter, but I it's it's very sad to hear that a paper like yours that has actually thrived, in my opinion, I agree with you. We can all have different debates on what we like and what's good and what's not good, but your paper is very consistent in having lots of content across the board in sports seven days a week, 12 months a year.
1: Yeah, and we're, we're kind of the last of the Mohicans. Um, so, so is
0: your belief actually that you know, the last one to go is the last one to turn the lights off?
1: Well, you know, the last episode of the Mary Tyler Moore show, it's one of the great shows in the history of television, is they close the radio st- or the television station. And they're walking out the door. And the last thing Mary does is she turns out the lights. I always thought I was going to be the guy that turned out the lights at the sun. Um, They've surprised me. We're still in business. We're still doing okay. The post media is still publishing right across Canada. You know, we have two papers in Vancouver and two in Edmonton and two in Calgary, you know, one in Ottawa and one in Montreal. And, And so there's a lot of, actually two in Ottawa, you know, there's a lot of newspapers that I think would go before we go. And if post media ever went bankrupt, which is always a possibility for any media company these days. My understanding of bankruptcy is your assets go up for sale and so the toronto sun as an entity unto its own would be going up for sale as opposed to the ottawa sun or or the winnipeg sun or any of the other ones um and i think we would be the first thing that would get sold out of that now who we got sold to and what happened from there you know i'm too old to be playing that game of (laughs) figuring it all out but you know my point is it's
0: it's a little disturbing to be honest that you're not investing in young talent?
1: Well, it's, it's disturbing to me too, because I'd love, I would love to see, and here's the problem we have. I would love to have seen over the years us adding and adding and adding. Unfortunately, we're a union shop. And one of the great things about unions is that you protect the people who are members. And one of the terrible things about unions is you protect the people who are members. And so if you're a guy I'm not going to use myself in this conversation because it sounds prejudiced. But if you're a guy who really does his job well, then you should be protected. Yeah. And you're a guy who does his job not well, and you don't put your heart into it. You don't care anymore, and you're, you're mailing it, mailing it in. You it should might be, be asleep
0: protected. in the ticket booth while people yeah. are walking in and you out of the subway station. Be,
1: you should be replaced, but we can't. And so that's one of the unfortunate strengths and flaws of our industry or maybe any industry is I would have loved to seen a lot of people reply. Uh, i I can give you some names of, of I'm, not, I'm not, going to say <laughs> I, su- I suggested years ago that we hire Elliot Friedman. I suggested years ago that we hire Ben Nicholson Smith. There's been guys over the years that I've gone to our bosses and say, this guy is a comer and he's going to be something special. At the time Elliot was not very well known as he, as he is now. I'm just using different names along the way of people who, you know, we saw or suggested and there was never the opportunity because, you know, because people's jobs were protected. And I talked to my boss recently about this and cause that we were discussing, you know, some work that was being done that maybe wasn't to our satisfaction. And he says, we're not the NFL. We can't cut people just cause they're not doing their job. And, you know, in some ways I wish we could because it would make, our department and maybe all the departments across the whole country better than they are. Yeah.
0: It's as I said, it's uh, I did not know that you weren't adding new voices at the same time as others were perhaps retiring out. That is too bad. It is certainly an interesting time in the market. There's certainly lots of things for you to write about. How excited are you to watch what unfolds with the Blue Jays upcoming season?
1: Um, Fascinating. This is the best Blue Jays team since the 93 world series champions. And if what you actually go wrong? What? No, <laughs> what but if you, go wrong, but if you look at compare the starting lineups right now, they're quite comparable. And you could almost argue that this team one to nine is better than that team was one to nine. Maybe they're not as good defensively. Offensively, they are possibly remarkable. Again, we want to see Guerrero do this for two years, not just one. You want to see, you know, what Bichette's going to be. You want to see what Teoscar Hernandez is going to be, what Springer's is going to be, when he plays the whole. But it, this is the best lineup one to nine in the American League. Their starting pitching one to five is very solid. And they have a six and a seven and maybe an eight possible as extra starters if they need them. So they're deep, deep in starting pitching. They're deep in their everyday lineup. And the bullpen, every year, the bullpen in any city is, uh, you know, what's going to happen and how is it going to happen and, and whatever. But they won, what, 91 games last year? You know, I don't see how they don't win 95, you know, although we're off to a very bad start after, you know, the pitching coach gets caught, you know, out having too much to drink and driving too fast the other night. And, you know, sometimes I look for signs, and that's a sign to me that, you know, this is not the way you want to start your season with a guy who's been an incredibly valuable coach in, in this kind of peril.
0: And the pent up demand in the market to get back into that building, irrespective of what you think of it, after not being there ostensibly for the past two plus years is enormous. I mean, they could be getting 35 to 40 a night.
1: Well, if 2015 and 2016 proves anything, is that this market is, a, is starved for a baseball winner. And the 2015 and 2016 seasons to me were very telling and how different they were from, say, 92 and 93, because in 92, nobody expected the Blue Jays to win. They were considered to be a team that always choked. And so until Robbie Alomar hits the home run in Oakland and they beat the A's and all that stuff happens, the Jays were never thought to be a team that could win a World Series. And until Ed Sprague gets the pinch hit home run in game two against Atlanta, if they lose game two against Atlanta, there is no 92 World Series champion. And so you looked at that team, lots of things went in their way. And then they made the Carter Alomar trade the year before. So 91, 92, 93, really big. You fast forward to 2015, all those years, they were never in contention at all. They were never once in, oh, if they win this series, they're in. No, they were never in contention. So in 2015, you went to the park. There was no social media in 92 and 93. No. There was no very little sports radio at that time. There, was, there were no sports national networks in your city the way they are now. And so everything the entire market has changed. And what I noticed was two things. One, a much younger fan at the stadium than I'd ever seen before. And a much more female fan than I've ever seen before. And so 2015, 2016, I would go, and I'd walk around the stadium just to look and see who's in the seats. And I was amazed by how many women were there and how many girls would go in groups of five and six in their twenties. What are we doing tonight? We're all going to, we're not going to the bar. We're all going to a Jays game. And it became the thing. Toronto is so much about the place to be. It's a phony city that way. (laughs) We love being where, you know, The action is happening.
0: I prefer funny to phony, but I I hear what you're saying.
1: But it's a little of both. Uh We love that. Oh, we love to be, let's walk around Yorkville when the film festival's on and see if we can't bump into Tom Cruise. And it's the same with baseball. They loved being at the ballpark. And so, and now we've had two years where you're not there. And this team, which is, you know, possibly tremendous. And so all these things add up. I think think they're going to have a big year attendance-wise. And, you know, again, will they meet expectations? The toughest thing to do in sports is when someone tells you you're great to be great. That is so hard to do. Well,
0: I don't know. As we sit forecasting the next month or so, they're coming out of spring training. Let's cross all of our appendages that nobody gets hurt and that everybody's healthy. You have the Leafs heading into the playoffs, whatever that looks like. And then you've got the little engine that could that nobody really saw anything. I saw them play in Denver a couple of weeks ago. The Raptors are really fun. Like they are really fun. I have no idea how good they are, but they're fun. And it looks like they're going to, you know, I don't know if
1: I'd want to play them in the playoffs,
0: but they're well, going to make the playoffs.
1: We just hit on a point that I, I have, I was talking to some NBA people the other night at the Raptor game. And the line that the scout said to me was, this is the team you don't want to play. Because they don't play conventional basketball, and they don't play the game as as most you know. Here's the point guard, and here's the small forward, and here's the center, and here they don't play that game. They play this game with a bunch of guys who are six seven and six eight, who all crash the boards for for offensive rebounds, and and all can defend, and they and they're playing a dip, they're inventing almost a new way to play without positions. And I asked Nick Nurse the other day, what's Scotty Barnes' position? And he'd said, point center. And I said, well, what's that? He said, well, he, he's played point guard, he's played small forward, he's played power forward, and he's played center. So like, I'm going to call that point center. And, and that's the thing about playing the Raptors. I think teams don't want to play them because they don't know exactly what they are. And one thing that you know, four years has, has, for me, has absolutely crystallized is Nick nurse is one of the great coaches I've ever been around any sport. Like he is just exceptionally good at his job. I don't want to play a team. If I'm one of the uh, opponents in the NBA, I don't want to, if I'm doc rivers in Philadelphia, I don't know if I want to go against Nick nurse because I don't want to be outcoached. And I think he'll outcoach pretty much everybody in the East except maybe Eric Spolstra.
0: Well, I remember being in the dome 92, 93 era not game one, but game two or three of the season where it's usually pretty quiet. And the place would go nuts because something would have happened in the Leaf playoff game because that was the Gilmore era as well. You could have a triumvirate where it's happening with the Raptors, the Leafs, and the Blue Jays. Uh, as a sports writer, columnist, media member, lots to write and talk about in the next couple of weeks. And as a fan and as a media member, I think we've all earned it. I love April.
1: April to me always other. Hockey playoffs aren't April this year. They don't start till May. Right. But April, I usually love because it's hockey playoffs. It's beginning of baseball season. It's the end of the NCAA tournament. It's, you know, it's, uh, and it's the Masters. And all these things are happening almost at the same time. And it's like, I just you know can't get enough of all of it. It's going to be a little different this year because baseball will start at the beginning of April. The NBA playoffs, I think, are the second week of April. And the NHL playoffs aren't until May. And so it's going to, be different but you're going to have the same thing at, at blue jay games where you know austin matthews scores or whomever scores and the least go up one nothing over boston and and all of a sudden this happens and you know and people are excited and the one thing we do and we and we know this absolutely definitively because one thing we can do now we could never do years ago is we can quantify every story we write how many clicks does it get how many people read it and, and more importantly than how many people, how long they're engaged with each story, and so the engagement with Maple Leaf stories dwarfs everything else. Of course, as much as you know, people love the Jays, and as much as people care about the Raptors, uh, the Blue Jays are, the Leafs are are clearly, clearly number one in the market, and that's not going to change. And you were asking about the, the Sunday column being in, in the subscription thing. They can also, you know, sort of look at that and get me exact numbers of readers. But what they determined with the subscription is, it was the largest engagement of minutes of anything else they had on their site. Nothing even compared. And so, you know, that was kind of a feather in my cap for that.
0: Yeah, I mean, the only thing, so just to go full circle, and I appreciate you spending an extra couple of minutes my only question as a digital person is i used to come to the site every sunday and i would read you but along the way I'm like oh that's interesting that's interesting that's interesting now i check the email and i may not go that's that's the only downside
1: yeah i guess i mean again readers have habits so they do what yep. they want to do and i always you know i always say i'm going to go to where i want to find something and i know it's going to be there Correct. and my biggest frustration not just with us but with everybody else is when i go to their site and i can't find what it is i'm looking for which is always a, it's been a frustration of mine from the minute online journalism began
0: well so my hint i'll tell you what i do i follow people like you on twitter you're usually kind enough to say here are the sunday notes larry brooks say slap shot uh that's what i do for that exact reason i really appreciate you taking the time Always great to chat with you. I hope that, uh, as I said, for, for fans and media like I hope the next couple of months are incredibly busy and uh, we've all deserved it because it's been a hell of a couple of months.
1: Yeah, and, and you know what? It's, it should be fun for those working, for those playing, and for those watching. And you can't ask for anything more than that.
0: Till next time. Thanks again, Steve.
1: All right, enjoyed it.
0: Thank you for Steve Simmons joining today in the press row. This is Jonah Siegel. If you want to appear, you want to advertise in the press row, you can reach me, as always, at Jonah at YYZ Sports Media. Follow me on Twitter at YYZSportsMedia.com. Follow us wherever you follow any of your podcasts. And until next time, thanks for listening.
1: Thank you for listening to another edition of the Press Row Podcast. You can subscribe on all your favorite podcast platforms. To contact Jonah or to sponsor the show, email jonah at torontosportsmedia.com.
0: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform.